How does Sammy Watkins' injury change the Chiefs' offense? Did DJ Moore and Josh Gordon just get big matchup upgrades? And is Tyler Boyd fool's gold in Week 14? Plus the 38th place team owner in the 2018 Football Guys Players Championship, Danny Gibson sits behind the co-host Mike tonight as I'll talk to him about how his lineup strategy changes for the remainder of the season and how he nearly got to the top of the mountain with just three weeks to go in the FPC. We've got a great show for you. Danny Gibson is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your extra special Eric Balkman Show edition of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour starts now. Live from the WRST Radio Studios in beautiful Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and heard around the world on the WRST stream, it's the Eric Balkman Show. Presented by MyFFPC.com. I am your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman. My co-host is normally the patron saint of fantasy football, the Dizzle Dave Gerzak, but he is actually off tonight and sitting in his place is a longtime high-stakes player who already has two top five finishes in the championship round to his name, along with numerous other FFPC league titles. Currently, he sits in 38th place in the 2018 FPC, and he is also sitting in the co-host chair tonight. Please welcome into the show, Danny Gibson. Danny, thanks so much for doing the show this week, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Eric. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it's, it's obviously my pleasure. Once again, a massive upgrade from my normal co-host, so I certainly appreciate that. How Are you, are you all set for the holidays? I, I know it seems like we recovered from Thanksgiving and three great football games, and all of a sudden we've got to get ready for the holidays, and we have the three-week sprint in both the FFPC main event and the Football Guys Players Championship. There's a lot going on right now, my friend. There's a lot going on, and you know as well as I do with small kids, you are never ready for the holidays completely, my man. So uh, I, will, yeah. I will definitely be working under pressure to, um, to get Santa taken care of, but um, fear not. We will get it done. We will get it done. We'll get it done. We're all in this together, Danny, as, as I'm sure uh, you will, will totally agree with, for sure. Uh, coming up on tonight's show, Danny record, and I will take Make you- sure Gerzak knows that I'm the better looking one uh, of, the, uh, <laughs> of the partners on this show. Oh, hey, listen, you're, you're, when it comes down to me and you, you're still the better looking one. So you, you are yeah. a massive uh, well, that's upgrade. Debatable. That's debatable. But <laughs> you're a massive upgrade not only for content, but as far as the George Clooney looks department, uh, you are certainly leading that, uh, you're leading that charge as well. So thank you so much. Uh, Danny and I tonight will take you through a tough start sits that a lot of you are facing this week with week one of the championship round sprint. Uh, underway. Uh, and we'll also tell you uh, whether or not uh, you might want to think twice about starting T.Y. Hilton this week. 
uh, and a lot more. Shout out to the chat room right now. If you have any questions for myself or for Danny, uh, post them in there. At HSFF Hour is where the show is at on Twitter. At Eric Balkman on Twitter as well. Facebook.com slash HSFF Hour. 347-426-3682. 347-Game Over is where you can get a hold of us uh, if you want to uh, chime in, talk with Danny and I tonight, ask us some questions, whatever uh, it may be. Uh, HighStakesFantasyFootball at gmail.com is uh, the email address. Our producer and mutual friend, Rob, our audio engineer, Bryce, working uh, hard on getting those questions, uh, chat room questions, tweets, and emails all to us in the fantasy feedback segment later on in the show. I want to remind everybody, in case you did not see the uh, FFPC e-newsletter that was emailed out to uh, this week, the world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge is once again live for the 2018-2019 season. Uh, it is a $200,000 grand prize, up $100,000 from last year. It's a $750,000 prize pool. That's up $150,000 from last year. Still just the $200 entry, a cap of 4,250 uh, teams. Uh, it's a 10-player lineup. You pick one player per playoff team. You cannot duplicate, um, you know, any teams on there. And uh, there's only less than a month to go uh, to register at myffpc.com. Pays all the way down to 600th place. Uh, so you can, uh, you don't even have to win it all to, to make it profitable. So check that out. Also, a reminder, rotoviz.com slash podcast is where you can check out this week's Rotoviz High Stakes Lowdown with Harley Copen, a $20,000 FFPC winner, former guest of this show. He has uh, teams in the uh, championship round of the FFPC main event. He also has a top 60 Terminator team uh, so far this season. So we, uh, we, we talked about that, kind of broke it down as far as uh, what he's going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, uh, how he view, uh, views some of the changing running back situations in both Kansas City and Pittsburgh. Uh, I think we get into some Chargers talk there as well with Austin Eckler and Joss, uh, Justin Jackson. Check that out, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Back to you, Danny. I want to uh, bring it back uh, and talk about your team, specifically the 38th place team in the Football Guys Players Championship. Before we get to that, uh, tell the listeners uh, what type of work that you are into. Yeah, so professionally-wise, I'm actually in pharmaceutical business uh, with Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. And then uh, on the side, me and my wife actually are um, heavily involved in, uh, in real estate as well. So maybe one day you'll, um, you'll see us with our own uh, HGTV television show with um, Flipping no, House. Yeah, I would, I would love, I would love to see that, and don't you know, we would definitely promote it here, and uh, you could uh, definitely uh, buy uh, my house up here in Northeast Wisconsin. It is in desperate need of a flipping. Uh, if you, if you ask my wife, no question, uh, she would say that. So that, that is interesting. That's good stuff. You we are a very busy guy, that man. Extremely <laughs> so busy. Figured, That's how I like it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And you'll have to come up to uh, northeast Wisconsin during the summer when the temperature rises above 40. So, it's sort of, you know, you only have to wear the one parka, which uh, I think would be best for everybody involved uh, in that. Don't come up right now. It's too cold. It's too cold for life right now. Let's get into the, uh, the fantasy football uh, portion of the show, Danny. Uh, 38th place in the Football Guys Players Championship entering week one of the uh, three-week sprint. A lot of players will tell you, a lot of players who have come on this show will tell you that handcuffing is not worthwhile. It's not something that, that uh, is necessary. It's not something you want to do when you're trying to win a six-figure grand prize. But it actually paid off for you big time because you had Kareem Hunt in this league. You also drafted Spencer Ware to pair with him, and you're, uh, you're enjoying not, you know, not, have, not taking a zero uh, with the Kansas City running back situation because you have Ware there. I'm curious, do you normally like to handcuff players, you know, your upper echelon players like, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, 
uh, Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, guys like that. Is that somebody? Is that a, a normal practice for you? It is a great question, and I would tell you that it's variable. And, and what I mean by that is it's all about the opportunity and the talent of the player. And, and I always look at it threefold: is do I believe in that player's talent? Second, have I seen them perform at a high level before? Have they shown the ability to produce on a consistent basis if given the opportunity? And then third, if, that, if the starter does have an injury, would that player be the true number one on that team, or would we be looking at a running back by committee if the starter went down? And if you look at Spencer Ware, I do believe in his talent. I have seen him perform at a high level previously. And if Kareem Hunt was to go down, I figured he would be the, the RB1 in the bell cow for that team. So in that situation, that's why I selected Spencer Ware um, and I've held on to him all year in case something did happen from an injury standpoint to Kareem Hunt. Unfortunately, it kind of went in a different direction. Um, but I am in a good spot with him still on my bench. But another guy that I would give you the exact same example and a guy that I have on a lot of my teams is Latavius Murray. Uh, I do not have Dalvin Cook on one single high-stakes team this year. Um, but, again, I believe in Murray's talent. He's proven he can do it before. And if Cook was to go out, he would be the obvious bell cow, right? So I think those are two really good examples to, to kind of the theory that I operate off of. And, uh, and so far this year, it's worked out fairly well. I'm curious, with the, with the three prongs of, of that, you know, um, would, he, would he be the guy if the starter gets hurt? Have you seen him do it before? Is the level of, of, um, of, uh, of fantasy goodness there if he does get the job? Does a player necessarily need to meet all three of those aspects in order for you to invest a handcuff in him you know, in the double-digit round? Or does he necessarily – maybe he only needs to fulfill one or maybe even two dependent upon the price that you have to pay for him? So to me, it's not just NFL, NFL games. And I'll give you another example. I loved Nick Chubb coming out of Georgia this year. I have him on a lot of teams. He's a guy that I really valued from a, um, a talent standpoint in his production at the University of Georgia. But he had not done it in the NFL, but I still took a, a risk on him in round 11, 12, uh, in the FFPC, sometimes even later than that. So, again, not necessarily that they have to check all three boxes, but they have to check at least two out of the three for me to, to, to go after them. Philip Lindsay was, was a great buy for you uh, early in the season on this team uh, in the FPC. What was it about him that, that you saw in just one week of action that, that made you want to bid a, a lot of your fab cash to acquire him, uh, knowing that if you did get him, then there's a good chance that you're going to have a, a fantasy worthwhile player for the entire season? Yeah, so totally. So my question back to you would be, did you see that guy run in week one? <laughs> I did, he I did. He was unbelievable. So for me, sometimes it comes down to the eyeball test. Uh, some players have an it factor. They've got a wow factor when they run the ball. And to me, Philip Lindsay absolutely has that talent. Uh, and quite frankly, is a guy that I will try to have on all of my dynasty teams uh, in the upcoming off season and will somebody I will be targeting heavily uh, in 2019. He just has to me an outstanding talent and high ceiling. 
he was a guy that, that I, I, I got in a lot of spots, but not, I don't think I got him in any – no, I, I take that back. I think I got him in one dynasty league, which stinks because I, I, I'm with you, man. I, I think he's, he's the guy to own in Denver uh, over Royce Freeman. I can't imagine Denver soaking more resources into that position given, um, you know, the, the, the needs of that team and, and what, they, what they need to do to get back in competition in the AFC West. I think you found something in Philip Lindsay, not just this year, uh, but going forward, uh, from a dynasty standpoint as well, I think you're going to get a few uh, good, really good years out of him uh, at a minimum. We're talking with Absolutely. Danny Gibson. Go ahead. One more point on Lindsey. If you've watched sure. him play a lot this year, he's actually evolved really, really well in the passing game as well. He was not utilized at the beginning of the year out of the backfield. And over the last few weeks, he's gotten much more involved in the passing game, which I think just increases his ceiling long-term as well. Yeah, he's he's the type of guy where where when I did get him, I was like, okay, yeah, well, he's going to be a good pass catcher as well. And I was actually surprised that he wasn't catching as many passes early on. But you're right, he's starting to come around in that aspect as well. I think Denver realizes what they have in him, and uh, and it's going to be good news for Denver and fantasy owners going forward. The 38th place team in the Football Guys Players Championship. Danny Gibson co-hosting with me tonight. Dave Gerzak has the night off. Very excited to have you on, Danny. Hunter Henry was a guy that got drafted. Uh, in a, a lot of leagues until the ACL injury, and then he wasn't drafted at all. However, I have seen him picked up in more than a few leagues because the Chargers, interestingly enough, chose not to IR him in the hopes that he'd make a December or maybe even January return to this team and still be a difference maker. Now, with the tight end premium scoring of the FFPC, uh, that makes him even more valuable. He is a guy that you yourself acquired late in the year. What's your outlook on what he could provide? Because he's obviously not coming back this year. Uh, but what are, you, what are you thinking that he might be able to provide over the final two weeks of the regular season? And then maybe as we look ahead to the playoff challenge, uh, an interesting guy to keep, a, keep an eye on there as well. He's definitely somebody to keep an eye on on the playoff challenge. Uh, when I acquired him in the FFPC, um, it was pu- uh, honestly a pure Hail Mary play. I had outstanding depth at all of my positions, running back, wide receiver, and tight end at the time, and I felt like I could roll the dice on if he did come back because you're rolling the dice on somebody that could be a top-five talent uh, at that position, in my opinion. So it was worth the gamble. It's obviously not going to play out in my favor, more than likely, because to your point, I don't anticipate that he's going to have much value in the, uh, the next few weeks. Um, but it was worth the gamble at the time because I do feel like he's got top five upside and ability um, in that offense if he was to come back healthy. But you're right. Let's see how it plays out in, uh, in the playoff challenge if they do, because obviously the Chargers are going to be there. And if he can come back and he's at 90 95% healthy, he can add a, uh, a lot to that offense. Uh, Danny, I'm curious, for your dynasty leagues, after he went down with the ACL, did you make any plays for Hunter Henry? Were, were you looking to acquire him? Were you looking maybe to cash him in um, for, for somebody who was, who was willing to overpay for him and keep him on IR for, for the season? Well, how did you handle Hunter Henry in, in your dynasty leagues? Yeah, I, personally, I was extremely aggressive trying to um, to go after him. Um, I'll give you an example. In, uh, in one league, I had Rob Gronkowski, Zach Ertz, and then I um, actually drafted uh, Dallas Goddard. Um, even with all that depth, he's still a player that I tried to acquire and was able to in a couple of situations and, uh, and got him at really good value. I mean, if you look at what that guy can present matchup-wise on um, that offense, 
there's tremendous upside with him. So if you've got somebody that may be low on him because he has been injured, he's been injured a lot in his NFL career, man, I would tell you to get aggressive. Uh, you know, don't overpay. But he's definitely somebody that I would encourage people to go out there and, and try to roster uh, in their dynasty format. As you look back, Danny, on the teams that were successful for you in 2018 versus the ones that weren't as good, um, outside of you know simply picking worse players or picking players that underperformed on those on those teams that have struggled, outside of that, was there any were there any strategic errors that you made in constructing these teams or or the way that you felt the best way to build them was? If, if you look back on the teams that haven't performed up to par. Has there been any overarching themes there uh, that you wish, like, oh, you know what, I, 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 took, I drafted this team with the attitude I was going to build it this way and I never should have done it, it didn't work out that way. It, can you provide any insight uh, on that? Well, I think the biggest challenge that the FFPC presents is the, the tight end position, right, because there's such an increased value or perception of value on that percept, uh, position uh, in this format. So whenever I look at kind of where I made some strategic mistakes, it would have been either one, missing out on the tight end run, because you're always trying to time that in the FFPC. You don't want to go too early, but you don't want to go too late, because then if you are, you're stuck with Tyler Eifert in, as your tight end one um, in a lot of circumstances. So to me, it's finding that equilibrium point in, in the FFPC to where you, you hit on the tight end position. Because if you miss, you're talking about a 10 to 15-point gap on average that you're having to try to make up on that position uh, in your lineups, and that, that can be significant. So strategically, you'll probably see me uh, be a little bit more aggressive on the top end of tight ends next year um, and then f- try and find value at the wide receiver position um, in the later rounds, that, that round six through nine, which I think you can do. Uh, quite frequently in uh, in this setup and format. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you on that. You know, those tight ends get pushed up, and, and it creates a, a little bubble of value. And, I th- and you're definitely true with receivers. Sometimes you get some decent running backs falling to that area as well. With You know, it's funny, Danny, is, is um, you know, you and I both play in the uh, Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship, and I had one team out of, I think I drafted three or four main events last year, and uh, I had one team make it to the championship round, and that was the only team in Kentucky I went zero RB on. Um, and obviously Kentucky yep. is a different format where you, you have to start three receivers. Right. There's only one flex, not the tight end premium scoring. Um, and that was a team that, that was my best. So I said, you know what, this year I'm going all zero RB. I'm going to go zero RB on all my teams. I drafted five main event teams there this year. Uh, two of them ended up making it to the championship round. And I only, and I only went zero RB on one of them. And that was one of the teams that made it. So I don't know what more proof I need. I just one of these years, I just need to get it and go, and and don't worry about running backs and just go zero RB out there with, with all my teams and hopefully have a bananas year. I, th- I think that's the plan for 2019. Now whether I can adhere to that or not is a completely different story. Hey, it's it's like a boxing match, right? You always go in with a particular strategy until you get punched in the mouth and all of a sudden you have to veer and, and change your strategy. So, right, yeah. uh, but you're right in the, in the, in the Kentucky league, it, it is a completely different format from FFPC. Um, and typically a lot of times you will see those wide receivers fly off the board in Kentucky um, a lot quicker. So you can find some of those really good RB values in that fifth through eighth round um, range 
uh, in Kentucky. Totally agree. And Danny, you and I, you, this this past year, you and I were actually in uh, a main event draft together. You were uh, you were drafting via proxy alongside of me, and I found out from the proxy that I ended up sniping you uh, <laughs> on a, on a few players in that draft, and it was it was it was getting you upset. But I think didn't you end up making the championship round with that team anyway? I did, and um, and, and interesting enough, my uh, that was last weekend. Uh, the team was very RB heavy with Kareem Hunt and Melvin Gordon, which um, both were out last week, and I lost by, I believe, half a point in, uh, in the championship. Uh, so frustrating. So, so annoying. Kareem Hunt has, um, has left me out to dry the, um, the last uh, two weeks. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the, the final weeks play off or play out in this championship round because – you're dealing with the Kareem Hunt situation. You're dealing with James Conner injuries. You're dealing with A.J. Green now being out on IR. So there's a lot of gaps on some rosters. So now it's going to be, you know, do, do, do the teams have enough depth and do they um, select the right matchups um, to get them over that, that hump from a talent standpoint that where a lot of these A-plus guys are out. Danny Gibson and Eric Balkman uh, sitting in with you on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour tonight. Danny, the 38th place team in the Football Guys Players Championship. And Danny, we tonight in the chat room we have Mr. Cocktails and Dreams himself, Chad Schroeder, hanging out in there. And he actually asked us if we if we could rank for him uh, Jeff Wilson, Justin Jackson, Austin Eckler, and Jalen Samuels for Week 14. He says he has one to four of them on about every one of his teams, and he has no idea how to order these guys. Uh, I put them in the order of uh, I, I feel like Jalen Samuels. And, and Austin Eckler are sort of on their own level by themselves. Uh, I have Justin Jackson a level uh, below that, and then uh, Jeff Wilson at the bottom. Uh, and, and I struggle with ranking those because there's, I mean, there's, it's very, very difficult to pick the correct ones out of those four. Now, that was the order I put them in, and then Chad said that he asked uh, Nelson Sousa uh, how he would put those, what, how, the order he put them in, and he put them in the exact reverse order than that. He put Wilson, then Jackson, then Eckler, then Jalen Samuels. So clearly, I am not helping. I'm just gumming up the works, as per usual, uh, on this show, what I'm doing. How would you rank those guys for this week only between Wilson, uh, Justin Jackson, and Eckler from uh, San Diego, and then Jalen Samuels? Yep, absolutely. First, let me say, I don't think uh, Chad needs uh, my advice whatsoever (laughs) with his uh, proven track record. So I actually agree with Nelson on this. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of uh, of Wilson this week. Um, I think he's got a really good matchup. I think he's a guy that's going to catch a lot of balls out of the backfield. So I actually agree. I would rank him number one um, out of this group. I would then go kind of 2A and 2B with Justin Jackson and Jalen Samuels. I'm a little nervous on Jalen Samuels because I, I do view his skill set as a little bit more of a third-down guy. Um, so I think there's some risk there that you could see uh, Stephen Ridley get quite a bit of carries, uh, but also anticipate Pittsburgh throwing the ball around a lot uh, and taking advantage of some um, some outside matchups with um, Antonio Brown and uh, and Juju. Uh, and then I would rank Eckler last. I'm really nervous on him. He's had a little bit of health issues, uh, and if you read some of the um, the press clippings. Uh, from Anthony Lynn this week, he he would like to get um, Eckler um, a little bit of rest, according to him. So I'm a little weary of Eckler. So I would actually rank him fourth, even though if you ask me who has the most talent out of these four, I'd probably rank Eckler uh, number one. 
but I, I'm really nervous on his health right now. Yeah, and he's always – it always seems – I think Justin McCord actually made this point on the, the the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship podcast this week that, that Eckler just seems to be better when he has uh, a guy like Melvin Gordon or, or somebody of that ilk to play off of. And this week he will if Justin Jackson is getting a good portion of the touches. Uh, that's going to keep Eckler fresh though for the whole game. So I think that you're on to something there. Um, but Justin Jackson coming in, obviously, with fresh legs. Uh, this week, um, you always like to see that, especially when you're trying to keep guys healthy for the playoffs, like I know the Chargers will. Um, and you're right about Samuels. I mean, he should catch a lot of passes. Jeff Wilson caught a lot of passes last week as well. I didn't even I'll, – I'll cop to this. And Dave, if Dave was here, he'd be making fun of me for this. But I was out uh, with some of my uh, local radio buddies um, uh, taking in the uh, um, uh, Packers-Cardinals game. And um, – I, I wasn't paying a, a whole lot of attention to red zone or anything like that this past week. And Dave said this something to me on, on Monday. He's like, Oh, I'm going to have to put in for this Pete Wilson guy. I said, who the hell's Pete Wilson? And he's like, Oh, you know, that guy from San Francisco. I said, I never heard of him. He's like, Oh, sorry. It's Jeff Wilson. And I'm like, I still never heard of him. I have no idea who this is. And then I actually read to do some research yeah. on him. Like, Oh, Jeff Wilson. Okay. I, I got it now. And then I actually put in for him. Uh, in a couple of leagues, I got him. I think I got him in in uh, two of my. No, I got him in one of my dynasty leagues, and where I'm actually playing Dave in the uh, in the first round of the playoffs this week. So I, I haven't decided if I'm going to use him or not. But uh, that that is an interesting cat to be paying attention to uh, this week for sure. Uh, as we move forward uh, down the uh, the home stretch of the season with just three weeks less, really less than three weeks worth of games to play. Uh, Danny, let's uh, let's talk about. You know, I know. A lot of times it's this type of time of year that I'm looking forward to 2019 because my teams are all in the toilet. Now, I actually do have some good teams this year, so I'm not totally <laughs> looking ahead to 2019, but I can't help but think uh, about next drafting season. Um, as we look forward to that, uh, and we all will within the next few weeks uh, as we get, you know, playoff challenge, uh, all those uh, formats going, uh, that'll be fun, obviously. Um, but we'll also be looking for, with an eye towards the 2019 drafting season. What do you feel like you did right this year on your team, specifically like this 38th place team in the FPC, your other teams that are in contention for prizes and, and some serious cash this year, that you'll actually try, that, that there were some tactics that you used or, you know, different things that, that you did during the draft that you're going to try to replicate next summer to try to get this same level of success? Right. So, so I think for me, it's, it's, it's about consistency. Whenever I go in a draft, I'm always going to go after the people that I believe in from a talent standpoint. And, that, and that's just not at the top of the draft, but I'm targeting guys that I believe in, whether I've seen them at the college level uh, or maybe they've been a wide receiver number three, but I think they've got the skill set to absolutely produce uh, as a number one. And, uh, and I'll give you two examples. Uh, I probably have Kenny Galladay on 70% of my teams this year because he is a guy who was going in that 10 to 12 round range, who I thought upside was a top 15, top 20 wide receiver uh, in that offense and with his skill set. Tremendous range, um, great athletic ability. Uh, and then, uh, so, so that's what I would say first and foremost. Trust your gut, trust your instincts, trust your evaluations of a player's talent, and, uh, and stay the course. That's good advice, obviously. It's your teams that you're drafting. You do a ton of research. You do a ton of prep for this, and not just you, Danny. I mean, I think we all do. Um, you know, we spend yeah. the summer 
listening to podcasts, reading uh, articles, watching preseason football, uh, watching training camp, you know, listening to beat reporters, everything like that. You know, you put all that investment of your time and resources into that, you should have a pretty good idea uh, of what you want to do when it comes to the draft. And I think subconsciously, uh, even when you're not sure what to do when you're on the clock or you're on deck, you kind of do know what way you really want to go and how you want to build this team. And it's your team. It should be built the way you want it to, uh, for sure. So it's yep. a very good advice uh, to follow your own Without a doubt, on it, that. And the only thing I would add, going into a draft, there's always the, the biggest unknown, right? You have no idea what 11 other players are thinking. You have no idea what the other 11 players and how they evaluate the same players. Um, so that's the biggest unknown. But I've found if I have to grab a guy that I have strong conviction on around early, I'm okay with that. Like if it's somebody that I truly believe in talent-wise, man, there's nothing wrong with grabbing that person in the seventh round versus trying to risk it and hope that he comes back to you in the eighth. So trust your evaluation, trust your gut, and go for it. It's pretty rare, especially when we talk about, um, you know, ADP now here. You know, it's, it's silly uh, it, it, to, to talk about it in early yeah. December. Is anybody going to remember whether you took, um, you know, a James Conner in the in the 12th round versus the 14th? Is anybody really going to remember uh, that, that you took, um, you know, a DJ Moore in the in the eighth round instead of the ninth? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. nobody cares about that yeah. at, at this point. And it's, you know, as soon as – like Dave always says, that – the day after your draft ADP is already obsolete because there's a there's a new there's a new level of or there's a new collection of drafts uh, to to be taken into account. We've we've seen it happen in pros versus Joes every year. We've seen it happen. You know, we cover in the Revelations and Genesis leagues. You look at that ADP and then you you cover the Football Guys Players Championship draft like we do in early August every year. And so it's a world of difference. It doesn't even seem like the same year in some cases. So. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Is, is go with your gut, trust your conviction, and at least you will be happy with the team that you draft. Now, getting back to where where all the money is going to be made over the next three weeks, um, waivers are closed, so you don't have to. Oh God, it was. Uh, let me ask you this: Wasn't it great on Tuesday and Wednesday where you could actually get a good night's sleep and you weren't staying up crunching waivers uh, in all your leagues? You know, now that they're locked, it's just like it's all lineup decisions now, Danny. I I welcomed it. I loved it. I thought it was great. Absolutely. And for a family man like yourself to not have to worry about getting waiver claims oh, yeah. in on Wednesday and Friday night, it helps the quality of life at home as well. Yes. Yes. No question. My wife was thrilled too. I, I can tell you that. I know my kids were, uh, it was, it was, it was a great way. It was a, one of my best Wednesday nights in, in quite a while. Um, with no waivers, obviously lineup decisions are at the forefront of all the, the, um, the fantasy decisions that we have to make Thursday nights and, and Sunday mornings, and in some cases, Monday nights as well. Do you ever find yourself this time of year with these final three weeks, are, do you ever find yourself overthinking uh, lineup decisions and, and really putting extra effort, making absolutely sure you soak every single piece of information that you've acquired over the last few days to, to build that into whatever decision that you have to make between starts and sits? Or do you put the same amount of time, the same process into it that you have been all season uh, and just, you know, doing it the same way that, that the way that it got it, the way that it got you there. So you're not risking yourself overthinking and, and thinking yourself out of uh, the easy lineup decision. How do you fall in on that, Danny? Yeah, you know, given this time of year, I don't know if there are too many easy lineup decisions right now. You know, if you look at all the injured players across the NFL, 
um, the Jalen Samuels, all the guys that we just talked about, I, I think there's a lot of interesting variables at play right now. So I'll be honest, I have probably spent more time analyzing lineups um, at this stage in the game, more so than I can remember over the last several years. Um, so traditionally, I would have keep the same process, keep the same focus, keep the same routine. Um, but with all the, the injuries over the last couple of weeks and the suspensions of Kareem Hunt, I found myself having to do way more research, second-guessing myself, analyzing matchups way more um, than I traditionally would have. Yeah, and I think, like, you know, what, typically the reason that you're playing this deep in the season, if you're in the championship round, it's because you've had great depth on your team. And it's because um, that, that, that you, you've had a, a solid roster of 20 guys that have helped you get here, uh, you know, over the course of the season. And those guys, it's not like they're going to stop playing well all of a sudden now that they know um, that, that there's only three weeks left in the season. So I think – um, and with no buys, you're going to have a lot of great options, and it's very, very difficult yep. to, to pick the right team uh, or right player week in and week out. So I, I think you have to look at it from that standpoint uh, as well. But as long as, again, you know, trusting your process, trusting your gut, knowing what you need to do, I, I think putting an extra effort in uh, to, to making sure you get these lineup choices right is, is good not only for starting the best player, but for your peace of, mi- peace of mind as well, knowing that you did everything you could uh, to get your best optimal lineup out there. Speaking of optimal yeah. lineups, Danny, right now on this 38th place team, uh, you have Marlon Mack on your bench. Uh, is there any chance that you think you can swap him in uh, for and make him a starter before Sunday, or do you like the way that this lineup sits right now? There, there's definitely the chance that he could that he could get plugged in. If I did play him, it would probably be over Kenny Galladay. Um, with his matchup against uh, Patrick Peterson this week at, um, at Arizona. But if you take a look at that matchup and what the Houston Texans have done defensively against running backs the last several weeks, um, they have been very stout. Um, now, game flow impacted that a little bit last week with Nick Chubb, but again, he only had 31 yards rushing. The week before that, uh, you're looking at the Tennessee Titans who just put up, what, 250-ish yards rushing last night against the Jags. And they held Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry to, I believe, 50 yards rushing on 15 carries. So they have been playing really, really well against the run. And I do anticipate that's going to be a very high-scoring game. But I think it's going to be done through the air. He's not a guy that I'm very high on this week because of the matchup. Speaking of, as long as you brought him up, I feel like we should talk about Derrick Henry and what he did last night against the Jaguars' defense. 17 carries, 239 yards, four touchdowns. Um, I can tell you I did not draft him anywhere this season. I didn't own him on any of my dynasty, so obviously I, I wasn't upset that I didn't play him because I didn't have anywhere to play. And I feel like, Danny, I, I don't know how he is uh, on any of your teams, but I feel like if you drafted Derrick Henry this year, I don't know if you made it to the championship round or if you made it to the playoffs, given the, the cost that you had to sink to get Derrick Henry uh, on your roster. Did you have him anywhere? Did you have him going anywhere last night? Uh, I would say out of my – 25, 30 teams, I had him on one team. Um, And that was a team that, to your point, was already in the toilet and finished, done, nowhere even near the um, the championship round. So I did not have him going anywhere. And quite frankly, last night was a perfect example of who Derrick Henry is. If you have any backfield penetration, he's not going to have a good night at all. He's not that type of running back. But if you can get him in open space and get 
you know, a 6'4", 250-pound running back who can move at 4'4", speed, you get him in open space, he's going to be a guy that is tough to bring down. And you saw that last night against Jacksonville. So, um, but he's a guy, if you, if you paid a fourth or a fifth rounder for him this year, odds are you're, you're, you're not in the playoffs right now or in the championship round. Yeah, no question. I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it really served no purpose other than to screw over the people who started the Jaguars' defense and he started Deion Lewis last night. I think those would be the two people that would really be frustrated with that Henry effort uh, for, for people who are still in contention right now. A couple of emails here for you, Danny, before we uh, get on and talk a little bit about the news that's going on around the NFL as we head into Week 14. Uh, Tony in Porter, Texas writes, Hi, Danny, between drafting in the FFPC and the KFFSC, do you make a huge distinction on where you like to draft wide receivers and tight ends, or is that overrated? Good luck in week 14. That's Tony in Porter, Texas. Now, for anybody who's not familiar, obviously the FFPC, you have the dual flex. You have the point and a half per catch for tight ends. Makes tight ends go a little bit higher than normal. In the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship, it's standard uh, PPR scoring, but you do have to start three receivers. You only have to start one tight end, and you only get to start one flex. So I'm curious, you know, because wide receivers usually get pushed up in Kentucky. Tight ends usually get pushed up uh, in FFPC. Are, do you, I mean, is there a big distinction there, uh, Danny, when, when you're drafting teams in those? I mean, are you consciously trying to make sure you get a tight end or two early? Are you trying to make sure that you build up your receiving core early in the draft? Or is that a little bit overrated when it comes to these two formats? So, so I'll start with the Kentucky League. Um, I will tell you this, 95% of the time I draft in the Kentucky League, I'm always going to be at the end of that draft because that third-round reversal changes everything that I do strategically. So I'm almost exclusively going to go wide receiver, wide receiver, and then grab who I feel like has the highest upside as an RB in that third round, unless there's still an elite, elite wide receiver still on the board. So for me, because in the KFFSC, you have the ability to choose where you want to draft, right? So that changes things dramatically for me versus the FFPC where you just get, you know, you get handed your draft spot and then you have to, you know, be strategic off of that in planning. Um, so in the FFPC, my, my game plan would change quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to wait on wide receivers. I'm going to wait on, you know, drafting Cooper Cup as an example in the sixth, seventh round, um, which is where he went in a lot of the drafts this year um, there. I'm going to grab the Kenny Galladay in round 10 or round 11. Um, so I think you can wait on wide receivers in the FFPC, but if you wait that long in the Kentucky League, you're going to get smoked uh, from a uh, wide receiver standpoint. No, you're totally right. And I, I think one of the first years, uh, I think the first year I ever played in Kentucky, God, it was so long ago now, um, I remember drafting, I think I, 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 I was so excited that you could play because this is back when it was all about running backs, you know, even in a PPR format, everybody's yep. like, oh, running back, running back. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So I can play two running backs, plus I can flex out another one. And I went super heavy on running backs, and my teams were awful. And then the following year, I did the exact opposite, where I was usually only taking one running back uh, in the first five rounds and then getting receivers and then an elite tight end. And I was like, in the second year, I obviously had a, a much, much better year. And I was like, wow, this man, I, now I got this figured out, but, you know, it, every, it changes yeah. every year, and, and, and uh, there's no really correct way to do it, but I think the guidelines that you just put forth, I think more often than not, 
that is going to pay off more than it hurts you for sure. Andy in Philadelphia is where we're going to go next. Uh, he writes, hey, Danny, what was your greatest lineup decision? Oh, this is a good one. What was your greatest lineup decision that you ever made that worked out perfectly? And on the flip side of the coin, one that you sweated about and ultimately made the wrong call where it cost you big. Uh, that is Andy in Philadelphia. Danny, I don't know if you can go to the deep recesses of, of your mind. Uh, obviously, when you when you consider the lineup, at least from my personal standpoint, when I consider the great lineup decisions that I've had, I always look back at the ones that come at the end uh, of the season um, because those are the ones that, that obviously make or break you. And I know that yep. one from for personal experience, when Dave, uh, myself, and, and Kurt Awe, who the reigning Kentucky champion Kurt Awe, when we uh, the three of us co-owned a team in the NFFC um, primetime in 2008, um, one of the decisions we were faced with was either Kurt Warner or Phillip Rivers at quarterback. And it was kind of unheard of to bench Kurt Warner at that point because he had been white hot with uh, Larry Fitzgerald, with Anquan Bolden. I mean, he, he was lights out every single week. Um, and Phillip Rivers was just kind of like sort of not like a middling guy, but like, I mean, a fringe top 12 guy, a guy that is a good backup to have, but not a right. guy that you like to be starting on a weekly basis. And Dave said, hey, listen, man, um, you know, they got there's nasty weather reports coming from this Arizona game. I think we should bench Warner. And I, I, I said, that's insane. We cannot bench Warner. And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know what? Rivers is playing at home in San Diego. This is going to be a really good matchup for him. Warner, I mean, I, I saw the winds, there's snow coming down. I'm like, I don't like this at all. So I, I called Dave that morning and I said, hey, um, you know, let, let's make the switch. I, I'm totally with it. You want to bench Warner, bench Warner. So we benched Warner and um, I was at my, my girlfriend at the Times house, now my wife. I was at her folks' house and I, I was heading home uh, for, for some reason back, back to my place. I don't know why. And before, I, it was like a 10-minute drive. And before I got home, Rivers had already thrown – uh, two touchdowns and, and obviously it was the correct decision. And Warner, I think finished like, it, it was terrible, dude. It was, he finished, Warner was like three of eight on the day for like 14 yards. He might've even gotten benched because Arizona was really wasn't playing for much uh, at that point. Um, but right. and, and that, and that it locked it up. I mean, that's, and we won the, the hundred thousand dollars. It not purely based on that, but that obviously really helped. But that's one of the line of decisions I always remember that paid off big. Do you ever do you have any like that that either paid off big or or you made the wrong call and it cost you a lot? Oh man, you always do, right? I mean, if you play fantasy football for long enough and it's frequent uh, as much as what we do, you're always going to have mistakes um, that you make from a lineup perspective. And you know, I'll give you an example of a, a decision that I had to make last week uh, that actually turned out right. Uh, but Tariq Cohen was um, – they were playing the Giants last week, right? Awful weather. You know, you're thinking, well, this could be a, a Jordan Howard game based on the matchup and the weather and whatnot. So I was I was trying to decide between Tariq Cohen and uh, and Chris Carson, who actually had, um, you know, a really solid matchup that scored in, I think, three out of the last four games, touchdowns, and had 70 yards uh, rushing. And um, – Typically, whenever I'm in between those two players, all the deciding factor for me is typically who has the highest upside, who who can deliver the most points in this given situation. And for me, it was Trent Cohen last week because just of his uh, unique talent and skill set. And um, even though the weather wasn't great, he went out and delivered, uh, I want to say around 34 points. And that ultimately got me to um, to the playoffs in a separate high-stakes league. Um which was a win, but I can tell you, 
the ones that you lose are always the ones that stand out the most, right? So last year, last week, I'm in the top five of another high-stakes league. Uh, I believe 20 points out of winning the entire thing with Alshon Jeffrey left to go in my lineup, and I was in between him, and I'm drawing a blank on who it was, maybe Muhammad Sanu. And sure enough, that was the one game Alshon Jeffrey went catchless last year, Uh, did not catch one single ball, and that still haunts me um, every single night um, of my life because I think there's $150,000 at stake, and um, and it was right there for the taking with a uh, a pretty good night from um, Alshon Jeffrey, but it did not happen the way I anticipated. So it happens. It does happen, and and it's you know you play long enough, you're 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 going to have something like that happen. All you can do is 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 make the best choice with the information you have at the time. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. And as we look forward to week 14 for lineup decisions, is there a sleeper out there right now this week that a lot of high-stakes players are probably going to have on their bench, Danny, that you think should be in there? And then conversely, is is there a guy that a lot of people have been starting most of the season that you think you might want to think twice about before you plug them in your lineup this week? Yeah, so a couple of guys that that I've got some concerns about going into this week, and I'll start with Lamar Miller. Uh, if you look at that matchup, if you look at how much um, timeshare he's been in with Alfred Blue, and now all of a sudden you activate Deontay Foreman um, as well, if he plays seven to ten snaps on top of Alfred Blue's, you know, 15 to 20 snaps that he's seeing a game, now all of a sudden you're talking about a 50-50 split for Lamar Miller. He's a guy that I am very nervous about uh, this week who's probably on rankings as a top 15 um, play. Um, it would not surprise me if, if he delivers mid to high single digit, um, kind of a 14 for 62 uh, type of game with maybe one catch. Uh, he's a guy that I have a lot of concerns with. And, and same thing for Dalvin Cook. Now, odds are if you drafted Dalvin Cook, you, you're, you're probably not in the playoffs right now. But if you are, he's a guy that I'm not very high on this week as well. Um, going out to Seattle, always a tough place to play. Uh, that that defense is playing much better now than it did in the uh, early part of the year. So those are two guys that I would be uh, a little weary of. But look, let's be honest as well. If you've got Dalvin Cook on your team and you're in the uh, playing in the playoffs, odds are you're playing him this week, right? So um, take that for what it is. Just lower expectations for him. Now, as far as upside guys, if you're looking for a um, a wide receiver three. Uh, wide receiver four in some areas that, um, that I feel like has a great matchup this weekend that's going to be flying way under the radar. I'm going to give you a, a kind of a, a long shot here with Michael Gallup. Great matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and that secondary is just completely beat up. I expect them to, to probably double team uh, Amari Cooper, um, which is going to leave a lot of one-on-one matchups with Gallup. And if you've analyzed his last couple of games, they've started to target him. They've started to run um, more isolation plays for him uh, in particular. Last week, he almost had a, um, a long touchdown pass that Dak missed him on going up the, um, the sideline. I expect Michael Gallup to have a really nice breakout game this week. 
Michael Gallup, certainly a guy that's worth paying attention to for sure. 38th place team in the Football Guys Players Championship. Danny Gibson co-hosting with me on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour this week. Danny, let's get to some of the stuff um, that has happened uh, in the league around the last uh, 24 to 36 hours, roughly, especially within the last 24 as far as injuries go today. Uh, Sam Mellinger from the Kansas City Star uh, reported that Sammy Watkins actually experienced a uh, setback. Uh, on Thursday, he's actually going to be sidelined for the next four to six weeks, roughly. We all know about Sammy Watkins and that foot. Uh, it has robbed him of a lot of his uh, consistent playmaking ability from a season-to-season standpoint. Uh, he's had this issue specifically with this foot this year uh, since uh, roughly the end of October or so. Watkins out for the regular season, basically. Uh, he might get back uh, into the uh, playoffs. I don't think there's a whole lot of fantasy analysis here. I don't think anybody kept Kelvin Benjamin on their roster. Um, if they did, I don't know. I mean, you're clearly not playing in the week 14. I don't think you're going to feel confident in uh, weeks 15 or 16. But going forward, I think Watkins and, and Benjamin are massive question marks, at least for the remainder of the 2018 season. Yeah, totally agree. And quite frankly, if you, if you look at it from a dynasty perspective, too, if I've got Sammy Watkins, he's somebody that I'm trying to move on from. Uh, he, he's just not going to be a consistent asset for your dynasty team in the in the long term. So if you can get a pretty good return for him, he's somebody that I'd be looking to trade. Evan Engram actually uh, is, is going to be making his return for the Giants this week uh, against the Redskins, according to Jordan Renan on Twitter. Uh, Evan Engram was removed for the injury report. You know, Danny, he was a guy who was drafted basically as like the sixth, maybe seventh tight end off the board, and he's really underwhelmed this year, obviously with Saquon Barkley uh, lighting the world on fire, Odell Beckham having another solid season, and, and Sterling Shepard uh, popping in uh, well, roughly every five weeks or so with with a good performance. Yep. Uh, Evan Engram has just he's, he's sort of been, um, he's been a massive disappointment. Now, for anybody who's kept him on their roster, maybe they had a guy like C.J. Uzuma or a guy like Eric Ebron or, or David and Joker or somebody like that um, that they drafted behind Engram um, to, and, and they've made it to the championship round or they made it to, to their league playoffs and their basement league or, or what have you. Um, I'm still a little bit nervous about plugging Evan Engram in right away this week against the Washington defense that's been playing pretty well over the last month, month and a half. Absolutely. My, my, my biggest concern is injury risk, right? Uh, talent is not a question with Evan Engram. Uh, that guy is a matchup nightmare um, going across the middle. But for some reason, Pat Shermer has yet to find a way to really get him involved on a consistent basis in that offense, which has been very disappointing. He's the guy that I actually did buy um, a lot of shares of uh, this year. I actually tried to stack him with O.J. Howard uh, on a lot of teams. Um, that worked out for a while until O.J. Howard landed on IR. But to your point, if they can get the right matchup with Evan Ingram, if you if you try to, to play him with a, a linebacker, he's a guy that can win that matchup 90% of the time. It's just can Eli Manning actually get him the ball uh, and can Pat Shermer scheme, scheme those matchups? Yeah, that is the question for sure. And uh, obviously big questions, and you probably have a better option uh, for your teams, uh, no question for sure, with uh, with Evan Ingram. Uh, Dan Quinn actually said today that there's still actually a shot. I can't believe this. Devontae Freeman could return off IR and play again this season. Jason Butt on Twitter reporting this. Uh, Freeman, since week five, has been out with both foot and groin uh, injuries. He had the surgery to his groin 
to uh, to try to come back this season. But I mean, Danny Atlanta's going nowhere, and honestly, Tevin Coleman and exactly. Edo Smith haven't looked that great. Um, you know, in in the uh, in the ground game for Atlanta, you can bring back Freeman. I, I I have Coleman and Edo Smith on a couple of teams. I haven't played them in weeks. I mean, this is this to me is just reeks of um, gumming up a, a running offense that is really providing little or no fantasy value right now. Yeah, that, look, there's no question about that. And quite frankly, if I'm the uh, the Falcons organization, explain to me where the benefit would be of bringing Devontae Freeman back this year. You're not going to make the playoffs. You've invested a lot of uh, capital in Devontae Freeman in the next few years um, as he just re-upped his contract, I believe, this past offseason. So, uh, why, why would you risk another additional setback or further injury when you're not going to make the playoffs? This move would make zero sense to me. I don't think there's any way in the world that they'll that they will bring him back under the given circumstances. Another guy who uh, is out for the rest of the season, Janu Smith. We saw this injury last night. Uh, Adam Schefter tweeting uh, that he is going to be uh, missing the rest of his second year in the NFL and honestly a big time disappointment after Delaney Walker went down. I think a lot of people were high on John o. Smith and, and what he could do for the Titans this year. He finishes the 20 catches for 258 yards and just three touchdowns. He saw 30 targets uh, this season. Anthony Ferkser is uh, the guy to own in Tennessee. If there is a guy to own at tight end in Tennessee, Michael Pruitt, the backup now Ferkser. But you look at this from a dynasty standpoint, uh, I think John and Smith's performance obviously um, gives the Titans pause, and uh, Delaney Walker might be set up for at least maybe one more go-round in, in 2019, given that John and Smith didn't do much of his opportunity this year. Yeah, I believe Delaney Walker just re-upped on a, um, a two-year extension, which I'm sure that, there you uh, go. that second year is probably a, a club option. So I would definitely anticipate Delaney Walker being the um, the lead guy there in that um, on that team for 2019. So from a dynasty perspective, I, I just don't see the value of having Johnny Smith on my, uh, on my team. You could not have asked for a better situation than what he had this year with the Titans when Delaney Walker went out for the year. And quite frankly, he underperformed dramatically. So, you know, I, I think the athleticism of Johnny Smith is off the charts, but the football talent to me just is not there for my eyeball test. So he's somebody that I'd be looking to move if I did or just, you know, quite frankly, drop uh, if he was on my dynasty team. Yeah, no question. FFPC, I know you get the tight net, a point and a half uh, per catch for tight end scoring, but they do have those short benches uh, in FFPC dynasty. So certainly he's going to be a tough hold next year, no question. Andrew Walker on Twitter uh, stated that uh, Frank Reich says he's, quote, somewhat optimistic that T.Y. Hilton is going to be playing against Houston this week. Um, he is uh, Andrew Walker also saying that the guy uh, T.Y. Hilton is going to be a game time decision. I believe Hilton did practice today. I don't know if it was limited or full, um, but this is a guy, I guess when it comes down to it, um, Danny, if he's active and you own Hilton, you, you kind of got to play him, uh, even in tough matchup against Houston, given uh, what his ceiling could be with Andrew Luck tossing him the rock. Look, he's not a guy that's that's been prone to – or he, he's been a guy that's been prone to this, right? Very limited practice reps. Sometimes the game time decisions, limited practice, et cetera. But yet he goes out there on Sunday and consistently puts up very solid, uh, if not spectacular, numbers with Andrew Luck. And for me personally, I anticipate he's going to play. I love his matchup this week. If T.Y. Hilton is active, and I anticipate he will be, he's somebody that's going to be in my lineup because I expect that to be a very high-scoring game. 
with Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson putting up monster games, uh, which should benefit Hilton as well as the Eric Ebron. We are uh, we are fast running out of time here, and I do want to get to as many of these emails as possible here. So, Danny, let's uh, let's kick things off right away uh, with listener emails, and I think this one is um, yeah, Pat in Hiawatha, Kansas. I was sort of on the fence about starting DJ Moore, guys, but with no Denzel Ward, is he a must-start WR2 against Cleveland? Thanks, gentlemen. That is Pat in Hiawatha, Kansas. You know, I kind of like DJ Moore the way he was coming on, and uh, Devin Funches obviously not doing much with the targets that he was uh, was presented to him, but you look at DJ Moore against Cleveland with no Denzel Ward, I see a lot of uh, upside here, uh, Danny, and specifically if you're looking to make up points, in the FFPC or the Football Guys Players Championship Championship round, you gotta you got to find some way to do it. I think D.J. Moore is a perfect uh, high-ceiling guy to make sure he's in your lineup. Totally agree. He has extremely high upside, but I would caution it a little bit. Cam Newton, a little bit of uh, arm injury. Not doesn't have that quite the arm strength that we're accustomed to seeing Cam have. And you're also starting to see – uh, Curtis Samuel, former second-round pick, start to shine a little bit. There, you know, the last couple of games he's gotten a lot of targets. Uh, I'm not worried about Devin Funches in that offense anymore. To me, he's he's more of just a uh, a goal line threat now. He's not going to see many targets. It's definitely going to be the DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel show. But I would be wary of uh, of Curtis Samuel. I think you could see a big game from Samuel as well. But if you're if you're in a spot and you're needing a high upside play, definitely D.J. Moore fits that bill. I would feel more comfortable with him being a wide receiver three versus a wide receiver two, though. Uh, you know, and, and to that point that you just mentioned with, with Cam Newton, let's go to Eddie in Aetna, New York. He writes, hey, Danny and Balky, how nervous are you about starting Cam Newton and his bum shoulder in week one of the championship round? Good luck to you, Danny, in the FPC. That is Eddie in Aetna, New York. Thank you so much uh, for the email, Eddie. And let's, let's shift the focus to Cam Newton. Let's shift the focus to his shoulder. If you own Cam Newton, I mean, is he a guy that you'd be looking at starting this week? Uh, you know, given the, the, the potential of him. We saw him lifted for that Hail Mary pass. He goes on the road to Cleveland. So, I mean, he's not at home, but it's not the toughest matchup in the world. He's an, another guy that, you know, his upside probably dictates that you want to start him, though. More than likely, 80% chance that you're starting him, but it all depends on who your backup is, right? You know, if you back him up with, um, you know, a Phillip Rivers, for example, well, with Rivers' matchup this week, I'll be honest, I may lean Phillip Rivers um, in his current matchup and his setting versus Cam Newton in the Cleveland weather. It's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. That doesn't really suit Cam Newton very well with a shoulder injury. You would really have to rely on his rushing totals um, to give you QB1 numbers this week, in my opinion. So more than likely you're starting, but it, it would all depend on me who my backup was or, or who I had behind him. That's a great point. And actually, Rivers is the name that sticks out to me, a, a guy that went later in drafts that I, I, when you look at who, who all the matchups are this week, you know, obviously you're going to be playing uh, Drew Brees and, and, and Mahomes and, and um, you know, even, you know, Big Ben, you'd be playing ahead of Cam Newton. At least I would be. Uh, and Rivers, I think, is, yeah. the, is the true question mark. I think I'm with you. I would lean with Rivers. Uh, over Cam. I know Cam does, uh, you know, some great things with his legs, especially around the goal line, uh, but I think Rivers is, is the lean there, and, and clearly if you have both of them, or if I had both of them, 
I'm playing Rivers over Newton. Let's go to um, Woodsville, Vermont. It is Rick. Does no Xavier Howard mean yes to Josh Gordon in all my starting lineups? Thanks for the email, Rick. Um, Josh Gordon is, I don't want to say he's a, he's a fringe start this week, but, you, you know, with so many loaded uh, football guys teams and, and main event teams, um, this might be a question of whether you start Josh Gordon or not. And the fact that he does go down to Miami, um, a place that New England, by the way, late in the season hasn't always <laughs> played that great against for whatever reason. I don't, not even just late in the season, just when they go to Miami in general, they, they seem to struggle a little bit. Um, but if he doesn't get Xavier Howard, and it sounds like he, Howard, if he hasn't been ruled out yet, um, he should be shortly. He might even be ruled out already. But Josh Gordon not being able to face him, I, I think there, there's some intriguing upside. Again, if you have to try to make up points, Gordon is a good way to do it this week. Yeah, it's, it's a, good, um, a good point. But let me ask you this. What do you feel like his upside is? Because well, he, he, like, I, I just don't see Gordon scoring over 16 to 20 points. Like, to me, that is his ceiling. Um, so if you're looking for something, if you're needing something along those lines, then yeah. Here's the question for me, and this is probably not something we'll obviously know. We have to see how the game flow goes. But if New England does get out to an early lead, and let's say, you know, Sony Michelle runs one in or, or James White or Gronk or somebody like catches one, and all of a sudden they're up 14 nothing, 17 nothing. Then, I mean, where's the onus for, for Brady to be slinging the rock all over the field after that? When you have Burkett and you have White and you have Michelle, I mean, you could just grind that game out and, and you know, New England might not put up 30 points, but they could win, you know, something like, you know, 24 to 9 or 24 to 10 or yeah. something like, you know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden there's no fantasy value there whatsoever. I'm with you. I see, um, now I do see the ceiling, but I also do see the floor here. And that is something, oh, as you would absolutely. say, I mean, this is, this is something to be cautioned with. You know you're playing with fire a little bit with, with Josh Gordon. And honestly, if he gets off to a slow start, it might be a, a mistake play uh, on your part if you do decide to start him. We have a bunch of tough starter sit questions here that I think we can fly through here over the next few minutes, Danny. Uh, Ray in Kissimmee, Florida. What's up, fellas? I have a tough SOS this week. Jalen Samuels at the Raiders or Kenyon Drake hosting the pass. Now, uh, thanks for the email, Ray. Uh, we've already talked about actually both these guys. Samuels, um, you, you'd imagine he's going to be catching some passes from Big Ben against Oakland. They should have their way with that defense. Kenyon Drake, it seems like um, you know he's been pretty inconsistent, but when he's hot, he's really hot, and he hits good. Uh, against the Patriots, he should be catching some passes, you would think, to, to try to keep up with Brady in that offense. Uh, if you can only play one of these guys, though, Danny, who's it going to be? I'm probably going to play Kenyon Drake, uh, Drake for the sole facts of, of what you just described. More than likely, they're going to be playing from behind, which is going to rule out Frank Gore from being heavily involved in, uh, in that game flow. And quite frankly, you just haven't seen Jalen Samuels do it yet, right? Until he does it and he shows that he's got the talent to contribute on a consistent basis, I love the offense of Pittsburgh. But until I see the player do it, I've seen Kenyon Drake be successful given the opportunity. And in a game that I think they're going to be behind in, I'm going to lean slightly towards Kenyon Drake, but I don't feel great about it. I mean, am I in love with him? No. Could you convince me to take Sandal over Drake? Yeah, probably. But for right now, I'd lean Drake. Yeah, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Drake is the safer play just for the simple fact of we don't know what, what – how the backfield touches are going to be divvied up um, between Ridley, 
and, and Samuels and, and Edmonds, by the way, even if he, I mean, maybe he's active and then there's a real monkey wrench thrown into it. I mean, we just don't know. Um, we don't know what's going to happen if uh, the Steelers get out to a big lead um, and, and they just decide to grind it out with, with Stevon Ridley the rest of the way. Um, there is obviously concern with, with Frank Gore. Um, I just, you know, it's, that, that was sort of a concern I've always had with Kenyon Drake all season. And um, if, if, here's the thing. If you know you're a big underdog in your playoffs or if you know you have to make up a ton of ground, then, yeah, maybe the, the unknown ceiling of Samuels is the better play. But more often than not, I'm probably playing Drake over Samuels this week. Although you're right, yeah. it is very, very close. Um, Sean in Glassboro, New Jersey, do I play Tyler Boyd? who is probably going to get covered by Casey Hayward, or do I roll the dice with Allen Robinson against the Rams uh, at Soldier Field? Thanks, fellas. That is Sean in Glassboro, New Jersey. Thank you so much for the email, Sean. Uh, you know, i, I got to look this up, Danny. I'm kind of curious. I know Chicago has the great defense, and obviously the Rams uh, have been crushing it as far as points go um, this year. The other concern is, is the Bears spread the ball around so well, and you, you never know if it's going to be a Burton game an Anthony Miller game, a Taylor Gabriel game, a Terry Cohen game. I mean, you just don't know these things, an Allen Robinson game. But I think, um, and as I'm bringing up the total here, I think that um, in that game, if, uh, if indeed it is – The Chargers uh, higher total. Well, yeah, I'll tell you this. The Rams are a three-point favorite at Soldier Field, uh, and the total on that game is 51. The Chargers game – um, the Chargers are 14-point favorites at home um, against uh, Cincinnati, and that total is 48. But now here's the thing. I know Hayward wow. will be on Boyd, but, man, I mean, Jeff Driscoll is going to have to throw a ton that game to, to try to keep up with the team that they're 14-point dogs against. I'm leaning towards Boyd. I see the argument for Robinson, but I'm leaning towards Boyd here. Totally agree. Uh, I would go Boyd, and I think what you'll see the Bengals do is, is they will move Boyd all around the field. They're going to line him up outside, but they'll also move him into the slot a lot. So I do think Boyd is the play here. The Bears are just so all, all over the board when it comes to their wide receivers. You don't know if it's going to be an Allen Robinson game, uh, a Miller game. Maybe Trey Burton comes from, you know, comes out of the dead to actually put up numbers as well. So uh, I, I would definitely lean Tyler Boyd in that circumstance as well. Final email comes from uh, Roy in Denver. Which tight end is correct for me in the first week of the playoffs, David Njoku or Cameron Brait? David Njoku this week is hosting the Carolina Panthers, and Cameron Brait is uh, also at home against the New Orleans Saints. And if you look at the totals on each of those games, the Browns game – uh, is only 47 and a half. However, that Saints-Bucks game, which, by the way, the final score of that game in week one this season, the Bucks won 48 to 40. Tampa, uh, that game is a 54 and a half uh, point total. I'm, I'm going to play great over Njoku, especially the way these guys have been trending. Yeah, it's, it's tough to argue that. I would actually go the other way, though. The New Orleans Saints defense plays tremendous against tight ends. And if you look at the, the difference in that defense now versus week one, it is night and day. The Saints defense has really come on the last few weeks. Uh, I picked them up in several leagues thinking that they were going to start to hit their stride, and, uh, and that's really paid off. I would actually go with Njoku in this matchup because I think the Saints are going to blanket Cameron Brake, and I think this is going to be more of a Chris Godwin uh, Mike Evans type of a game for the Bucks, 
uh, versus break. But I totally understand yeah. how that would be a tough decision. You know, and that and that's a good point too. And and obviously the other thing to consider there, I love Adam Humphreys this week. I think Humphreys has a big game. I guess I, yeah. what I'm really saying is I love Jameis Winston this week because I think he's going to be throwing it yeah. to to anybody and everybody on that team. I think Braid is solid. I think Humphreys is big. I think Godwin. I'm with you on that too. I know um uh, uh Harley Copen this week uh, on on the road of his uh, high stakes lowdown, he actually said uh, that that he's a big fan of of what Godwin is going to do this week. Uh, and we all know Mike Evans is, is uber talented and, and can, you know, just have a 200-yard a blow-up like that. So uh, it's a great point um, with, uh, with with Brait versus uh, Njoku. And Carolina's pass defense isn't anything to, to write home about either. I mean, they've been giving up a lot of points. Um, that game could easily turn into a shootout. This is a good problem to have, no question. And it was a good show that we had tonight. Uh, Danny, 38th place in the Football Guys Players Championship as you move forward through the next three weeks of the championship round, I wish nothing but the best for you uh, and really all your teams this year. Thank you so much for coming on the show this week. I really appreciate it. We'll, ch- we'll catch up again soon, uh, no question. And uh, listen, uh, the, the house flipping, I'm going to keep you abreast of this. We're, we're going to figure something out here. Hey, man, happy to do it. Bring it down to Nashville or I can come up to Wisconsin and we can definitely sit down and make a uh, – put down a, um, a strategy to make you some extra money, man. I'm all for it. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for doing the show this week, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Danny Gibson, ladies and gentlemen, 38th place in the FFPC main event. I butted heads with him in Kentucky as well. Uh, great guy and uh, very, very talented uh, fantasy player. Uh, no matter who he has to share his teams with, he is, uh, he is very, very good and uh, uh, clearly um, making more correct decisions uh, more often than not so far this year. That is going to do it for the show this week. I want to thank Danny Gibson for coming on. I want to thank the FFPC, uh, Rob Bryson, of course, each and every one of you for listening. Uh, A very happy birthday, a special happy birthday message to Mr. Pickpockets himself. It is Jim Nicola's birthday today, so happy birthday to you, sir. I will see you again in Vegas uh, coming up uh, next September. Um, we'll be back live next week at 10, 9 Central. Uh, 34th, speaking of people you see out in Vegas, the 34th place team in the FFPC main event uh, from the franchise Troy's Boys, it is Larry Weinhauer. He will be on this show next week. Dave Gerzak will be back in studio, and we'll have Larry on. We'll talk about his main event team, uh, his varsity team that has been doing very well this year. He's got a, a lot of irons in the fire as far as uh, the amount of money that he is going to cash at the end of the season. be fun to talk to him and pick his brain. Once again, Harley Copen on the high-stakes lowdown, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Check that out right now. You can also download it on the Spreaker channel as well if you go on Spreaker on your app, which I think you can do it on Alexa now. Uh, you know, Say, hey, Alexa, play Spreaker, and then it'll ask you which podcast you want to listen to. You say Rotoviz, High Stakes Lowdown. I think it'll show up that way as well. Don't quote me on that. Um, I have to try it out myself, but I believe it will work. Uh, I want to uh, wish everybody uh, best of luck in, uh, in the first leg of the uh, championship round, both for the Football Guys Players Championship and for uh, the FFPC main event, only, uh, you know, after this week, we'll only have two weeks left. And then that will be it, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be counting six-figure grand prize winners. Hopefully, it will be you, and I wish all of you 
nothing but the best of luck. Uh, go register for the world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge, myffpc.com. Check it out there right now. Get in on that. Your weekend officially starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by myffpc.com that was broadcast live and heard around the world. Eric and Dave will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from a guest much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week. Big dogs stay on the court. Blow the whistle. Blow the whistle. Blow the whistle. Blow the whistle. Where you get that from? You know, one one of the fans of these like little post show um, you know snippets that we always do is uh, Hudson Kern Reeve, and I know he's listening right now. He wasn't in the chat room tonight, and I have a feeling I know why. The Avengers Endgame trailer came out today, and I know Kern is super excited about it. He's probably just been watching it nonstop since it came out early this morning. I wanted to talk about it on the show with him this week, uh, but it's probably better off that we wait until next week because as much fun as Kern and I will have talking about it, it will equally annoy my co-host Dave Gerzak, which... Listen, that's what this show is all about anyway. Good luck in the uh, championship round, everybody. Hope the ball bounces your way. We'll talk again next week.